Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Bright Kumalo. And tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Jean-Pierre Fester from Protea Capital Management and independent analyst Jimmy Moyaha. Send those questions via SMS to 4392, email stockwatch at beautytv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag uh, stockwatch. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, it's, it's been an interesting four weeks, to say the least. I mean... Uh, We've watched basically the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 claw, claw their way back, you know, from deep losses uh, that we've seen all the way through to the 14th of June. I mean, uh, Jimmy, how's the, the the performance looking like uh, in terms of today's close in 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 in, in the JSE? Well, um, the JSE, I mean, actually had a good day. The top forty closed um, in the green. Uh, very I'll positive. Take that. We're back sort of towards that 65,000 points mark, which is very important. I mean, we've, we've sort of been struggling to, to break above that for a couple of days uh, now, but it looks like we might actually get a break up there. Um, on the RAND side of things, we're seeing some strength. They're still sitting below the 1650 level, which is very important. So overall, from a South African perspective, rather positive close to today. Um, some of the performers today, I mean, NASCAR was up 4%. We have Sabanya up uh, 3%. Kumba was up some 4% as well there. Nice. So we are seeing some strength at the moment. Um, the hope is that it's not uh, something that's short-lived and that we continue to see uh, a bit of a rally. We are expecting that there's a possibility we might see another gold run going from, from the levels that we're at now. Um, but again, there's a lot of macro factors and economic factors around the world that are still at play uh, that still need to be considered before looking at where we could go next. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm glad to also see the, the, the local market very, very, very close to year to date's uh, you know, uh, break even, uh, even closer than the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ uh, for, for, for that matter. Uh, JP Fister, is this a dead cat bounce or a bear market rally? I mean, I saw Cassandra, a.k.a. Mr. Big Short, basically saying on Twitter that in the year 2000 or 2001 or whatever, when it was in the middle of the calamity, uh, the stock market rallied 71% and still ended in the red. So <laughs> and these things happen. Is that, is, is that where we found ourselves today in the U.S. markets? Or, or maybe there's some more excitement or, you know, we'll take the news as is at face value. Well, neither Michael Burry knows, nor do I know. <laughs> but I can tell you is we saw with the, uh, call them the 30, 13F filings, the quarterly filings of large institutional investors, Correct. Michael Burry has sold uh, all his stocks, um, so he's definitely very bearish. Uh, I'm not quite as bearish. Um, look, uh, whether it's a dead cat bounce or not, what I like to do is I look at prices versus value. Okay. And what I do see is there are quite a few shares that I like at current prices. I think the prices are below fair value, but there are still a lot of companies where prices are far above fair value. And if I look at the index, and therefore if I look at different stocks that have got high weights in the index, so companies like Apple, Amazon, uh, Alphabet, Microsoft, Tesla, I would say that they seem to be close to fair value based on current earnings and expected earnings. Yeah. So the big question, if, if it's a dead cat bounce or not, comes down to is the expected earnings going to be accurate or is earnings going to surprise on the upside or the downside? downside. Okay, and if we are heading into a recession, it could surprise on the downside. And that's why I'm I'm on the cautious side. I don't know which way we're okay. going to go, but okay. as usual, I'm hedging my bets. <laughs> this is why I don't like hedge fund managers. Always be hedging, right? Um, 
JP, let's talk about earnings since you, 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 you brought that up. I mean, we've got Walmart and Home Depot today. Um, I think it was two and a half weeks ago when, uh, at the beginning of um, earnings season where Walmart basically said their outlook, you know, is worse than they expect. Um, they expected to, you know, their profits or their revenues actually to go down between 11 and 17%. Now, today, they come out with earnings and saying, look, we're a little bit too bearish then. Uh, it's not as bad as we thought. Maybe, you know, between 9 and 11% now. And the market likes it a lot. But two, two and a half weeks ago, down a lot. So actually, what to believe? Exactly. So we had a large drop a few months ago in the Walmart share price because of that, as you explained, uh, Bright. And now we have a big jump in the share price. So it shows that even operating companies are finding it very difficult to forecast their demand, to forecast the inventory levels. And within the details, Walmart has said that, for instance, um, food is still uh, showing strong sales. Yeah. As we'd expect, that's very defensive. People have to eat. But general merchandise is still weak. So that's things like appliances. So there's a lot in the detail. Uh, Home Depot, also stronger than expected. Um, you might know that house prices are very high in the US, US yeah. and, and unaffordable with interest rates rising. So it does seem like almost we had similar in South Africa roughly two years ago, that people are deciding rather than buying a new house, let's just fix and, and improve our current house. And Home Depot is benefiting from that. So at least we got two positive uh, results today in, in the case of Walmart and Home Depot. Uh, anything to add there, um, Jimmy, in terms of Walmart and um, you know where the consumer is and Home Depot, obviously? No, I think, I think JP hit the nail on the head there saying that um, a lot of the companies, and we saw this as a trend the last round of earnings season, where a lot of the companies refused to give forward-looking forecasts um, because of the uncertainty and the level of uncertainty that there was. And the ones that did, didn't really give um, detailed forecasts. They just said, look, we are looking to expand into these areas or focus our business towards yes. this sort of yes. um, space where we know we have greater control. And what we've seen from the Walmart share price is exactly that, is the market is taking information and processing it in real time a lot more now than it has been over the last couple of years. You're seeing that um, economic data, things around inflationary announcements, things around interest rate announcements are having a more immediate impact on volatility, whereas in the past we'd sort of factor these in over a large period of time or over an extended period of time. Now you're seeing markets react and fund managers react as soon as they are able to because the economic conditions are so dynamic throughout different parts of the world. So yeah. I think we're going to see that come through in companies as well. We're going to see it come through, especially when companies start to report things around earnings um, because they have been so hesitant around forecasts. I mean, you remember at, at the end of 2020, everybody said 2021 is our year of recovery. Here's our forecasts. Great. And then the pandemic continued. And now everybody's like, okay, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, we're not going to say, take the same line, you know? Yeah, so you're seeing yeah. first half earnings being reported and they're saying we, we, we survived in first half. We were recovering from co low COVID bases and all of that. But second half of the year, we don't want to jump the gun and get ahead of ourselves and assume we're going to recover to pre pandemic levels just yet. But because that hasn't been the case up to now, and it's taken three years instead of taking the 12 months that everybody originally planned for. Yeah, no, you touched on a very sensitive topic of, um, you know, slashing uh, outlook altogether and not giving outlooks. And, you know, a lot of management, uh, you know, got lambasted basically for that but anyways what could they do they don't know the future right um this is not earnings watch it's stock watch so i'm keen to go in through these questions 
Uh, we have one here on Twitter from Matthew. He says, a view on premier fishing brands. Uh, JP, premier fishing? Yeah, so there's a few fishing businesses listed around the JSE. We have Oceana that has been in the news for all the wrong reasons recently, but it's a high-quality company. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, Sea Harvest, also a very high-quality company that has expanded into Australia. Yeah. Uh, you have INJ, which is part of AVI, and sort of doesn't fit in AVI if you think about what else AVI does in terms of biscuits and chews. And then you have Premier uh, uh, fishing. Now, Premier Fishing has got the wrong shell, the base, if I put it that way. It's associated with uh, with AOL and uh, and got the equal survey. So uh, it is empowered, but um, it is not as highly rated as the other fishing companies. So um, also, if you look at their specific exposure, you get exposure to hake, to lobster, um, and to other uh, uh, fish that are not one of the two. Um, like mackerel, and Premier's uh, exposure is not as good as some of the other companies, and they were worse affected by the lockdowns in China, the export of something like abalone goods to China. So of all the fishing stocks, Premier would probably be the last one that I would consider. Okay, interesting. Uh, with that said, Jimmy, um, Premier Fishing? Look, I, I can't help but agree with JP. I mean, th they were empowered. We know um, as of about a month ago, the PIC is selling their stake there and they're willing to sell it at a hefty loss. And that's a concern. Um, so, it's, a little too late. it's a little too late. I'm <laughs> laughing because why did they get involved in the first place? Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a different conversation. That's not a stopwatch question. <laughs> um, but what we're, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put Premier as high as guys like Oceana and Sea Harvest, particularly if you have seen what their international operations have been looking like, how they've been hedging their risk exposure and managing their um, supply chain uh, requirements so that they don't have shortages. Um, in Oceana's case, I mean, through their Australian businesses as well. Um, so I, I think, again, JP's spot on, last of the choices there, but even more concerning with the associations around the company and the associations and the, the fact that the PIC is effectively no longer showing confidence in them. Okay, fantastic. Uh, before we go to the break, um, JP, we've got a question here from Quinton who's asking our thoughts on buying Tungela for the short term, 6 to 12 months until the end of Russia-Ukraine war, or maybe is it too late to jump in now? Well, again, we need to look into the crystal ball and tell me, Bright, what is the coal price going to do? So if you look at the current export price, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it very closely because I do own Tungela. It's $320 um, per ton, and, um, and that is still significantly higher than what Tungela got the previous six months, which is about, I think, about $240. So if, if the price of coal stays here, Tungela is going to have a very good second half of the year as well, even better than the first half. Uh, depending on what transcend out, hopefully they can keep as many locomotives going as possible. And then the question is, what is Kohl going to do? And that is based on what Russia, Ukraine, what's going to happen there. And if Europe is effectively going to be able to import coal from elsewhere, uh, Newcastle in Australia, for instance, which is a bit further away than Spain, South Africa, and if Europe does get alternative coal supplies, that might also weaken the Richard Bay export price even though the Richard's Bay export price is still at a discount to the Australian Newcastle price. So for now, I do think in the short to medium term, the is still a very good price. There's some U.S. data that came out yesterday, Jimmy, um, and today, I mean, some, you know, New York manufacturing numbers. Um, 
home builder sentiment and all of that stuff. Um, how are we looking, Jimmy, and how is the market actually interpreting those numbers? So a lot of the US data that's come in now has um, actually missed estimates, surprisingly enough. And off the back of that, you'd expect that um, some of the, or the US market would react quite negatively towards that. But we actually are seeing the exact opposite in terms of US reaction. Um, and that's been the case for uh, a number of weeks now, for a number of months now, actually, where we've started to see things like the US dollar um, take over almost as uh, a safe haven currency uh, or safe haven uh, destination as compared to your traditional safe havens like gold, where you'd expect that economic data that would drive safe havens or drive a risk off sentiment would push the price of gold up and the price of gold has struggled to break beyond that um, $1,800 an ounce level, whereas the, the dollar has continued to see strength where we didn't expect it to see strength. So what we've seen from the, the data that's starting to come out is um, a lot of the data that is has been the focal point of the U.S. Fed has come out in line with what the U.S. Fed has said, particularly if you look at something like the jobs data, the most recent uh, non-farm payrolls yeah, and yeah. the private jobs data that came out at the start of the month was very much an indication that what the Fed is saying about the U.S. economy not being in a recession as yet, even though they've technically met their definition of a technical recession, um, they're saying that their economy is still strong, it's still robust, and this is the opportune time for them to put in uh, higher interest rate increases. The data that supports that is coming out in line with those expectations. But the, the, the rest of the data that affects your blue-collar um, workers, that affects um, things around where your blue-collar uh, guys are going to invest their uh, hard-earned savings and that sort of thing, that data isn't necessarily coming in on cue as expected. And the market, uh, whilst pricing in uh, a lot of its own positivity and a lot of its own um, hedge fund data and, and larger institutional data, is sort of not really reacting the way you'd think it would to the smaller data that affects your, your everyday Joe, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. JP, do you believe that you know bad news, um, you know, will lower the persistent price pressures that we're seeing? Uh, reduce borrowing cost. I guess that's the narrative we're being told and that the, the Fed um, will stop overreacting. You know, I'm saying that obviously in inverted commas there. <laughs> do you exactly. buy, do, so, do you so buy so that story? See, correct. Once you see some weakness, once you see some, um, so, some, uh, some slowdown in yes. the U.S. economy so that they can stop rising interest rates. So if there is a slowdown, the market sort of uh, think that that means the interest rate hikes are on near an end, are near <laughs> the peak thereof. We're so getting excited. A strange time. Now, depending on where we are in the interest rate cycle, good news can be good news, good news can be bad news, bad news can be bad news, and bad news can be good news. It all depends on where you are in the cycle. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm seeing uh, this is very interesting, but again, stock watch. Uh, we have a question on the SMS line from um leo who's asking about two companies first of all sanlam um a, an old mutual so we'll start with sanlam jp uh, what are your thoughts on sanlam and you know as a medium sort of term um buy so that's three to five years uh, you know with the upside of dividends so you can tell leo uh is over 65 and he likes his dividends like the dividend puppy here Sure. So uh, Sunlam is known as the more conservative of the life assurers, a very conservative embedded value uh, calculation and their assumptions that they use for their embedded value calculation as well. 
So um, a very steady and solid company. Um, they had expanded across Africa, and now they've done a deal to combine that with uh, a big foreign financial services group, and uh, and that is also exciting, the, the Allianz group. So we'll need to wait and see if that's going to generate more profit from them from the rest of Africa. Uh, but in South Africa, most life insurers have come through a very difficult time with COVID. And um, now that that is behind us, and there were billions of rands of claims, death claims, um, uh, hopefully that, that we've seen the end of, it means that life insurers, their prospects look better, but also probably some of the conservatism that was built into the embedded value is now gone because they needed to use those reserves to pay out all the claims. Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's okay. Salam is okay for the future. But I do think that it doesn't have quite the margin of safety than what it had in the past because of what happened with COVID to all life Okay, Jimmy, do you have any thoughts on Sanlam? Um, no, I, I actually have more. My thoughts are more on uh, the old mutual side, but very much in line with what JP is saying around the insurance space. In that, um, a lot of the insurance claims that have gone through have um, hit insurers uh, very, very much. We know that old mutual on their side, they put out a trading statement last week, I believe, uh, for the first half of the year. Good profits there. Uh, they've, they've got a positive outlook towards the South African market and towards their client base here. Um, again, the concern there around the insurance space is um, the type of product that uh, Old Mutual would then offer is a type of product where if we have to now look at a stretched consumer who needs to cut back on certain things, um, the, the, the types of insurance products that they offer, um, extended life policies or extended policies and that sort of thing, are typically where we've seen in the past, consumers start to cut back on those sorts of things first. Um, interestingly enough, Old Mutual did announce a new BE deal, uh, I think it was yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So that's also something to, to keep an eye on there. Um, I think from an insurer perspective, at the moment, if I'm being very honest around the insurance space, I'm finding value elsewhere, um, better value in other stocks. Uh, things like the, the Tungela mining conversation that we had just now, you're getting, a, uh, for short-term returns, you're getting better returns from there rather than the insurance space. So at the moment, I'm still very cautious around the insurance space as a whole. So you can't even choose one for old Leo. Wow. <laughs> uh, JP, um, old mutual, uh, and obviously maybe expand on the, the PE deal. Uh, I mean, at 10 bucks, this thing is trading at 11.59. I don't know. Uh, it, it looks... It's not such a big of a discount, but if you look at all the vendor financing and the 15% free shares for the retail investors and et cetera, et cetera, what does it look like? Is there an opportunity for positive asymmetry after the 10 years? Yes, no, there is that possibility, although they did get criticism when they announced the deal to say that, as you correctly said, the discount isn't as much as we've seen in other BE deals and the vendor financing means that um, you still have this trickle dividend that must pay uh, the, the financing over 10 years. And it might mean that in 10 years' time, you don't have quite the value creation that you would have hoped to get. So there have been some criticisms, but it still is a good deal. You're still getting a, a discount. And so it's not it's not a bad deal. It's still something to consider. And then between the two insurers, I would probably choose Sunlock still. Okay. I do think their, their geographical exposure is very good. They've got the, the Indian operations in Sri Ram as well. Um, so um, I do think across the African operations, uh, India and their very strong position locally, um, and their stake in Santam as well, which came up with a trading statement today, that was in line with expectations. It was weak because we know about the plus in Natal, 
um, but in line with the expectations at least. So I do like the, the structure and the exposure of Sunlum a little bit more than I do Oldman. Yeah, I, I personally, as Brad Kumalo, like the Old Mutual BE scheme. Um, yeah, because I think when it comes to a dividend yield, it's going to be competing with Putumanati at the end of the 10 years because it's, it's a very generous deal when you look at the, those terms there for retail investors um, in terms of the big um, you know, vendor financing there. So if you remove that, you, you're left with a very, very high-yielding asset at the end of it. But again, what matters is, you know, what is Omisho going to look like in 10 years' time from today? Uh, will the share price still be around where it's trading? Uh, and actually what's left at Old Mutual now, you know, with the split of Quilter and then the unbundling of NetBank, etc. So there's a, there's a lot of questions uh, that we have. And we have another question here from uh, Jonathan Governor who says, uh, Hi, what does the panel make of Conduit Capital's share collapse? Um, is this an institutional shareholder getting out or, or what? Jimmy, following... Um, Sorry, wh what's that? Conduit Capital. Conduit Capital. Yes, yes. Okay, um, I'll, well, I'll, I mean... I can go to JP okay. first, yeah. JP, Conduit Capital? Yeah, I'll be brief. It's a, it's a very sad story, really. It was a, um, a short-term insurance business that especially focused on gap cover. And um, the company was taken over by a, an investor who tried to effectively uh, do a Berkshire Hathaway strategy of investing the float in equities. The only problem is the equities that the investor invested in collapsed. And that means that the reserves of Constantia's major subsidiary, Constantia Insurance, Constantia insurance uh, yeah. went to zero. So <sighs> went below the required uh, uh, reserves and they couldn't um, operate from there. And the Prudential Authority then said that um, the insurer must be under uh, uh, administration. So a very sad story. And that is why the contract here passed. So, so you're trying to tell me that there's no other Berkshire Hathaway Warren Buffett type investor here in South Africa. Well, okay. Many people um, try. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Um, I think we, we, we're just running out of time. So I'll, I'd rather take your stock pick, Jimmy, um, while we still have time. Sure. African Rainbow Capital. I've given it out before, given it out. Uh, the last time I gave it out, I think it was trading at about four rand. It's trading about uh, six rand uh, at the moment. Um, anything down to five rand is a good buy. Uh, the long-term view on African Rainbow Capital at the moment is on the basis of uh, something Time Bank announced. I mean, they're up to 4 million customers already. Their customer growth rate is at about 140,000 a month, up from about 110,000 last month. We know that um, ARC is trying to get involved in the telecom MTN family merger thing that's happening there as well. <laughs> if that goes through with rain, that's a good thing for them. Overall, what I'm liking about ARC at the moment is if you look at the structure and the types of businesses it's involved in, you look at its uh, Malaysia and uh, Philippine operations that are going to be expanding even further there, you're starting to see remnants of an early REM grow um, in, in the manner in which it's being built. And I don't, I think if we start to get, so we're going to get results probably around September, mid-September. And if we start to get a good set of results from its investments, um, from its deals with guys like the Fashini Group and all of that, that starts to pay off on the balance sheet side of things. You might not get below 10 Rand for that share in the future. It's a very good long-term hold. It's a very good price to get in at, at this point. They've got very low, actually think they've got zero debt levels, if I'm not mistaken, at this stage. Um, so as they start to grow, we might not have an opportunity to get in this low um, in the future. And it's something okay. you can hold for a very long time. 
Okay, fantastic. And the issue still lies, you know, that 2 and 20 structure in Mauritius, um, which JP is probably going to punch me for. But anyways, I still don't like it because of that. And if you want a Remgro, just go buy a Remgro. Don't buy this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, already holding Remgro. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, JP, your stock pick for the evening? My stock pick tonight is a company listed in the Netherlands called BE Semiconductor Industries. I've been researching the semiconductor industry the last while. A fascinating industry. You have companies that uh, produce chips. That's companies like Intel and Samsung. Then you have companies who design chips, like uh, NVIDIA and Qualcomm, for instance. You have companies that create the chips or manufacture the chips for the designers, the biggest being by one semiconductor manufacturing company. And then you have companies who sell machines that are used in the, in the semiconductor manufacturing process. And that is the part of the semiconductor industry that I like because there's a bit of a slowdown at the moment after we had a, a shortage of semiconductors or chips. We now have too much. So you don't want to be manufacturing chips. But at the same time, you have a lot of geopolitical risk around Taiwan, which is where the majority of chips are manufactured. And therefore, a lot of governments all over the world are giving huge subsidies for companies to create their own chip manufacturing base within these home countries, in the U.S. and in Europe. That means we're going to see a lot of new chip uh, fabs, fabrication factories being developed. And that means a lot of machines are going to be bought for new chip manufacturing. So I like a company like Basie, uh, the semiconductor manufacturing industries, because they'll be selling a lot of their machines that will be used in the semiconductor manufacturing process. Okay, fantastic. So JP Fester is bullish on uh, foundry, uh, you know, BE. Uh, semiconductor <laughs> industries and uh, arc is what um, Jimmy is going with. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thanks to my guest, Jean-Pierre Fester from Protea Capital Management and independent analyst, Jimmy Moyaha. Stockwatch is back tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good evening. <laughs>